We are happy to present this episode to you ad-free, but we're also sad to present this episode to you ad-free because ads pay the bills, and I don't see you paying the bills, but you can pay the bills by directly supporting us via philosophyimprov.com slash support. This is Philosophy versus Improv, where two sages try to teach each other a thing or two, and maybe you, the audience, get something out of it as well. My name is Bill Arnett, an improv pope, curious about philosophy. This is Mark Linsenmeyer, a philosophy cardinal, studying to become an improv pope. And together we are philosophy versus improv. The versus part is usually a fun thing we have, but it's usually a wonderful coming together of two grand visions. Divisions. I was going to say diversions, but I don't want to. Diversion might seem to be away from important, and I want it to be towards important aspects. Diversion plus vision equals division. Wow. That's the kind of connections that PVI makes every week. And I'm glad you're with us, and we've got a wonderful program for you today. I hope. I think my half's wonderful. We haven't had no guest in a while. It's Mm -hmm. been three whole things. I think this will come out in January, so we can treat this. I'm sure this is the last one we will record in 2021 because of holidays. Happy New Year. Stuff like that. Yes. Happy New Year. We're glad that you made it to 2022, unless this is being beamed to the afterlife. And I got to say, 2021, for as much as we were happy that it arrived and that 2020 was dead and buried, it felt better, but it was not. (laughs) I think we all had higher hopes for 2021. That it would be revolutionary rather than just, you know, well, the ship's not sinking anymore and we're actually, we're just about refloated. I was sure that Trump was going to be reinstated. I, everything I read <laughs> said that that was a totally reasonable, rational thing to think. Oh, yes. And, all, and at strange times and that with strange powers not directly mentioned in the Constitution. But uh, if your average pillow salesman can figure it out, boy, we should be able to figure it out also. Do you think that the spirit of improv is alive and well in sort of conspiracy thinking? Because the kind of mental gymnastics that's gone <laughs> into that in terms of it's actually Trump got plastic surgery and he really is still in office and he's doing all those things that Joe Biden seems to be doing. That's some creative work. And I can see some aspects of improv in conspiracy thinking, although a giant part of improv, particularly the improv that you and I have been doing, Mark, It's about being in the moment and not forcing anything and instead allowing your senses to inform what's happening. And the idea that the audience is sensing things and we need to sense the same things the audience is sensing. If we're going to stay with them or stay ahead of them, what do they think of what we're doing? What are their assumptions? What are they confused about? And being in the moment is also a critical part of improv. But I would definitely recognize that the storytelling aspect, the yes and that seems... (laughs) rampant in conspiracy thinking is uh, straight out of the improv playbook for sure. Now, if we are trying to get the audience to follow us, to feel what we're feeling, are we causing the audience to feel that way? Or is it merely uh, we're evoking a spirit and hoping that they will evoke the similar spirit? And so it is a, a correlation, not a cause. It's an inspiration rather than a direct cause. I like number two better. <laughs> number two, number two sounds better. If art is ever manipulative, that's when it starts approaching advertising or at worst propaganda. If I not only do I know the emotion I wish to evoke and intentionally go to evoke it 
and try to evoke it over as wide an audience as I can, we're getting a little manipulative. I mean, manipulation is all around us. It's happening every day. I try to manipulate my children into going to bed on time, nightly. So it, I don't want to speak too ill of it. However, propaganda ain't art. And I think we can all, <laughs> we can all agree on that. And I think it's that foreknowledge that disqualifies it. Right. Okay. So it's not manipulation if you don't know what the hell you're doing. Or you are discovering it in real time or discovering it now or simply just being open and honest. And your honestness is an emotion and it is causing another emotion. We can't turn that off. See, I got to think that a lot of what the people that feel helpless that go to conspiracy theories or whatever, it's because I realize they're being manipulated. I, I know that's the part that we normally focus on. But in terms of the psychology, when you're there, like they totally think we're just trying to be open and honest. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't understand how the levers of power work. It seems like, you know, the army should be able to just move in and fix stuff or the Patriots should, you know, there's lots of things we they think maybe should happen, but you know, it's very much in the spirit, I think, of a creative openness and honesty about the world, intended honesty. Let's paint this a pretty picture for the new year. We got to get along with our fellow people, not think that they're being manipulated. They're performance artists. Well, I mean, when my children play make-believe, you know, I mean, they, they certainly, they've got it all figured out, haven't they? Those manipulative little bastards, they're just like, <laughs> yes. I know that I, what, what's a thing that they pretend with? What is like their, do they have plastic things that... Some unicorns, you know, they got some mm. My Little Ponies or something perhaps, and they are pretending that they are some kind of family and going about their days. And as much as I want to say unicorns don't exist, I think that there's a romantic notion in both playing with unicorns. There's a romantic notion in cosplay. There is a romantic notion in conspiracy theories. And I think that that is appealing. And to burst the bubble, to say unicorns doesn't exist, destroys the illusion. And I would rather have that illusion be true and have fun in that illusion than have that illusion be destroyed with reality. Do you try to get involved with the unicorns or do you? No, do you, I, I, yeah. You do, do you witness among your children like some no ands, some unicorns don't go to restaurants or unicorns do not seek to plot to overthrow the government, just that one of the children wants to pretend in a way that the other one feels that he's off limits for unicorns. Minus the political ramblings, the answer would be yes, that there are negotiations as to what the agreed-upon fantasy rules of unicorn play will be, which I know that might sound backward, not backwards, redundant, no, counterintuitive, that we're going to have rules around our imagination. We will accept that unicorns live, but, oh, come on now, you're doing it wrong. That's a legal, a legal thing to say, despite playing with fantasy creatures. I mean, I think a unicorn purist has to accept the fact that, you know, it's just a horse with a horn. So, you know, it really can only do the things that horses do, except insofar as there are a few horn-based tricks and abilities that they have. But really, it depends how magical that particular horn is. And can you cosplay where they get their horns cut off and become completely normal horses and lose the power of, of speech, say? I, I think the horn... It's adjacency to the speech centers definitely can be the thing that it can endow speech. Whereas a normal horse, if you've got a toy horse and you're making it talk, you're doing that wrong. Definitely. Well, I think this whole idea of identifying something that doesn't fit is a wonderful place for my improv lesson. And you're aware there is a cat in a bag. It's not out of the bag yet, but you have become aware of there is a bag with a cat in it. 
But yes, identifying things that don't fit. In order to do that, we have to have some kind of base reality, and that a base reality must be agreed upon. And those things that don't fit have to be acknowledged and called out for it to not fit. Or it just sits there weird, like the cat hairball that no one wants to clean up, that everyone just pretends they didn't see in the middle of the floor. The Schrodinger's bag, uh, <laughs> the presence of the hairball does help determine it one way or the other, unless there's uh, you know some other cat that we know about outside. Some other cat, or some person collecting hairballs from a third-party cat and depositing them on, on your floor. It does seem like we should have, we have plenty of hair, you know, we should have mm-hmm. perfect ability to produce hairballs, and yet it's mm-hmm. something that uh, I think too many people neglect. I don't think humanity should be able to produce hairballs. They're gross. They're kind of yucky. And you really, I mean, you really think humans should? All right, hairballs or boogers? It's a similar sort of scenario that we've got some buildup where the uh, animal does not want it, the creature does not want it, and uh, it beca- gets flicked around willy-nilly. Boogers just happen? I'm just going to say that. You don't have to do anything. Hairballs require you licking yourself or somehow getting hair into your throat, and that's purely optional. I don't think I could do anything to choose to not grow boogers. You know, certainly cold weather or dry weather or when you're not cutting the grass and get all that dust in your nose, you know, that, that might be more conducive to booger formation, but that's, you know, it's a natural process. Yeah, I haven't thought, I mean, there's plenty, I, I have a, a lot of allergies, so certainly mm-hmm. out cutting the grass and things, there are things that, that will make my nose run, but in terms of that hardening, that creation of mm-hmm. the actual booger, it's a little bit mysterious to me. It's not mysterious at all. Wet things, exposed to air, dry out. And as the mucus is made by your body, which is very wet, is deposited into your, your nasal cavity, which is wetter than the air, but not as wet as your body, it's going it's to dry out. Why would humans having hairballs, what utility would that serve? Just another way to get something off your chest, so to speak, literally. I mean, if you could lick your chest and then uh, expel that in a, in a convenient way, you can direct it. You can direct it where you like. You know, we wouldn't be sloppy about it like cats are leaving them here and there. But uh, a well-directed hairball, much like a hocked loogie, that might come in be very useful. But having a comb, a hairbrush that serves the purpose, just you know, a shower where the hairs are loosened and you, washed you, away. Uh, you comb your chest hair. I don't know I, if I have I, enough to to comb there, but uh, I, I, I mean, no, I don't comb it. But I mean, that does. That, I don't worry about it. But the shower just. I don't like vomiting. I don't know anyone who likes vomiting. And I can only imagine that hairballs are akin to vomiting. I think it is more like the loogie. And uh, as an allergic American, I'm very familiar with the loogie, much to the uh, chagrin of my family. It's probably the kind of thing that you would adjust to. I don't think the cat necessarily has that same feeling. I don't know. Maybe they, they're, they seem to be down with throwing up in general. Like it doesn't bother them like it does us. It's, it's more a continuum between uh, in and out as far as they're concerned. Whereas for us, it's a... That's fine. That's fine with them. I don't want to cough up hairballs. I'll shower, I'll brush, I'll comb. It's not a superpower. I would like to be able to jump three times my own height or fall and land on my feet. I mean, there's other cat things. Night vision wouldn't be bad. You know, sleeping 18 hours a day. If I'm going to start stealing cat properties, there's certainly other properties I'd prefer to hairballs. So when the cat produces a hairball... Do you feel like that uh, you have the understanding of the causal process that is sufficient to make you feel like you really get what's going on? I think I do. I really think I do. The hair gets caught in the stomach. It is not passed through the stomach. It is not digested. It builds up until there is a point where the cat cannot eat. 
and food can't get through, so they hack up this hairball. It does not seem pleasant for them. It seems to be a little disorienting. The process of their, you know, the arched back and the noise doesn't seem like fun. So is the cat in expelling the hairball, how does that exactly work? Is it passing some sort of power to the hairball? How does the uh, the movement to the hairball? I, I think I think the ball is in your court to prove why humans should have hairballs. I, I don't think it's a, a lack of understanding am, amongst cat physiology. It's gross. I don't want to do it. Full stop. You know, the, the burden of illustration, the burden of proof is on why humans should do it. All right. Well, let's agree to disagree on that. Is there a scene oh, boy. that we, wanna, we, just, we, we want to We just did a scene, Mark. We just did a scene where we where this was all that's going on. And in fact, I did the very thing that I threatened to do and did the very thing I threatened to do. And you actually did a, did a fine job as well. B plus. All right. Well, that was very nice that we started <laughs> the whole competition without actually ringing the bell. We started a scene without saying that we were starting a scene. Correct. Is it merely the when I take on that insouciant tone of voice that you know that I'm now in a scene? I was threatening to explain what my kind of lesson was for today and what the technique I would like to see is. Maybe I'll explain it when we run things back as we typically do. Not that we have to, but we typically do. But you said something that was the perfect opportunity for me to just do the thing that was the lesson for the day. Uh Okay, I mean, I know we're not at the point of guessing it, so let's let's uh, <laughs> let's keep moving forward. Sure, let's do an actual formal scene. Okay, where we we descend into the annals of our imagination. Okay, and we light some fires there. We mm-hmm. do some sparks. We uh, we connect in a special sure. way. Would you like the special assignment, or would you like me to do the special assignment? You're welcome to go ahead. Okay, I will do the special assignment. You got it. Did you have no, well, the special assignment? Oh, I, I thought it was <laughs> silence. That was the special assignment. <laughs> the special assignment will occur after some time of scene has passed. All right. So uh, here we are on the table. Me, the uh, five ball. Yeah. You, the eight ball. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, I was thinking about, uh, I'm a little scared of that, the white man mm-hmm. coming in, uh, striking one of us. Yeah, have you noticed that when the white ball gets knocked in, it gets to come back on the table? Have you noticed that? Yeah, it seems kind of bullshit. I mean, yeah. when, I, when I go down, I mean, I guess you're kind of the center of the party because it seems like once you go down, like, mm-hmm. you know, we just go home for the day. I can spend quite a lot of time sitting in one of them pockets there and they don't seem to miss me much. They never pull me back out until everybody comes back out. It's kind of bullshit. Well, I mean... We had a lot of balls, you know, there's a lot of us and there's what, you know, 18 of us. When we're in the formation, I can, it's more of a, a qualitative thing for me. Like we're a triangle. 15 pool balls. Right. Man, this game is going slow though. I'm, I'm just, I don't know where those two. I think it's that the stripes are really going down uh, okay. faster. Yeah. And, uh, for some reason, the solids, it just, just depends on the day. But today I see uh, two over there just hanging out, four. It's too bad that I, I don't actually have color vision or I could tell you what color the uh, two and the four ball are. It's not because I, I don't actually remember what a pool table looks oh. like. I mean, I'm here on a pool table. It's just that you, we don't, as balls. You're colorblind? I thought we all were colorblind. I mean, no, I can, I, I can, I can tell stripes from solids, but I really can't. The one's yellow. The... I mean, I, I can tell white because like that guy's yeah. just stone cold. Just icy, just pale. Okay, well. But everybody else has got little pigment. 
I'm really sorry to hear that. Do you want to know what color you are? I guess. You're pink. You're a beautiful shade of pink. Okay. All right. What causes pinkness? Do you know? Do you have any idea? Red and white paint mixed together. I didn't know you were colorblind. Is it just, it's completely black and white or is it red green or just some color? No, no, it's just shades. They're darker shades and lighter shades. And I see that the white ball is the, is the lightest and you have some dark and you have your, yeah, uh, well, you're completely dark, but that, uh, except for that, that that eight there. Circle around. Yeah. 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 Are are the other balls colorblind? Are you the only one? Do you have you shared this with anybody? I was aware that there was something beyond our possible vision. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some way that they pick us apart. I guess I just maybe thought it was mostly the numbers, but yeah, I've always had this suspicion that there's something beyond what I could actually see. Yeah, there is called color. Wow. Okay. Wow. All right. Pink's an outstanding color. There's lots of wonderful things in the world that are pink. There is a musical artist who refers to herself as pink. Very famous. You probably have heard them on the jukebox playing their music. Hey, wait, watch out. Oh, okay. Oh, the white one you. missed. missed uh, okay. Hit, hit. Uh, that was, that was pretty close. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of bouncing around there from uh, yeah. number three there. But uh, yeah, looks like we're safe for the moment still. Yeah, that was. So when the white one hit number three there, what do you think was going on there? I mean, it's the, the three move because the white one is, is yelling so loud while, while he's. Well, I think there was a the physical contact was made. Okay. And there was a. An elastic collision. Really? Okay. So I see one thing happens. I see the white one hits the other one, and the other one moves. Yeah. I don't know that there's anything. I mean, what do you mean by elastic collision? Is that just a name for how things pattern of 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 seeing things well it's you know cause and effect things bump into things things but you know i would have thought as a pool ball you would have had this down just immediately you know first i learned you're colorblind and now that there's a seems to be a basic lack of uh, physics that i don't know this was ever explained to me so much as i just observe the world you know well i observe the world i observe their patterns but i still don't know what it is is it because the white is uh because he's such a, a badass son of a bitch and that's why he's able to make the other ones move, you know, through the force of his personality. The white ball has, as it's moving, it has kinetic energy. And when it strikes another object, part of that kinetic energy is imparted to the other object. Oh, so he spits on them. Well, no, he, he contacts them, he hits them, and, and, then, and, and then that energy transfers. So and you've seen next- this energy, you've seen this. Well, You've seen I, this jump when you from, see something from, move, when you see something move, and then something else move. See, I think maybe this whole energy thing is just a way of restating what you've already said, that when it hits, then the other one moves. But the hitting itself, you don't know what's going well, I mean, on there. The cue ball has hit you, right? Has the cue ball ever hit you? The cue ball hits me frequently. And All right. Is it, is it yelling? Is it screaming? Does it well, make yes, contact? Yes, every or? single time. It's, I don't know why the, the people don't seem to hear it, but it's definitely yelling and emitting a, really a quite, to my senses, my acute sense of smell, just a, a noxious odor. And that's why when I get hit, I just get out of the way and, you know, go in a straight line. Okay. Here, look, on me and on you, you can see sometimes, well, I would say blue chalk, but there is a little dust on our bodies that is imparted from the cue stick onto the cue ball. And sometimes that cue ball hits us and we get some, it's blue, but to me, it, you may, it may just look kind of dark to you, dark gray. But that's actually chalk dust that's been imparted onto us after having been contacted by the cue ball. So I understand the, uh, the chalk dust, because that's a transfer of stuff. Yeah, you know, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's on the it's on the the, yeah. the thing that sits up there. 
and then it gets uh, on the stick, and yeah. then it gets on us. But that's not what's going on with this whole kinetic energy nonsense. You know, it's not the chalk that is jumping to the ball. I just think that this is just a shorthand way of talking about how fast the ball is moving, talk about kinetic and potential energy. I, j- I just think it's, uh, I think it's like ghosts. I mean, uh, ghosts are obviously real, but you know what I mean. If, if ghosts were not real, then it would be like ghosts. You know, I had some empathy for you when you said you were colorblind. And I'm not, I'm not saying I'm regretting that empathy, but look, you can think the world operates however you think it wants to operate. But here's the thing. It's going to operate on you, whether you like it or not. And however it's going to operate, it's going to operate. I think you play the game and the game plays you, you know? So uh, we might be best to kind of look into things and trust people who have been successful. And you think I started out as an eight ball? You think I've lived my whole life as an eight ball? You evolved? There, you were some other number? Oh, yeah. You graduated? Did, oh, yeah. Is that something I should aspire to? I thought to, to be the last one hit, I mean, that you only get hit once. Yeah, right at the end. Right at the end. Coming at you with my foul smell. Come on, eat. Ow. Remember what I said. All right, I think that's it. We can end there. That's enough of that. Boy, I saw you tacking a little uh, conspiracy theory at the end. <laughs> I did, did I? <laughs> Well, it's just that whole questioning knowledge itself, which I think is a real, I think it's that's where conspiracy theorists eventually have to run to. So in questioning causality, I was not trying to question just all <laughs> knowledge itself or it being a conspiracy that people come up with this kinetic and potential energy thing. But I was actually kind of making at least a point that philosophers have made that we can fool ourselves to thinking that we understand causality because we understand patterns in detail, right? We understand the difference between causation and mere correlation. Sure. Right? That's why we have it. But really, correlation is just a decoupled causation. You know, it's it's a pattern, two things happening together, but you could show that like, oh, well, actually they have a common cause. It's not that the first one always causes the second one. It's just that some third thing is causing both of them. Causing both, yeah. But, you know, what remains called causation and not correlation is just one where you don't seem to be able to uncouple those. It is a bona fide philosophical puzzle of what is actually going on when one thing causes another. And, and billiard balls are always the basic example given of one hits another and it moves. The billiard balls are so simple. And we had that conversation, well, last recording session for us, last week for us, about games and game theory and how when you have a game, you essentially take 99.5% of the rules of reality and forget about them and instead focus on a very small number of rules, ones that a human mind can actually comprehend. And pool, I think, is a great example where you've got some real basic Newtonian physics going on, you know, high school level stuff that is completely understandable. And even if something else is going on, more so than, you know, high school level Newtonian physics, 99.5% of the world that is the pool table is governed by Newtonian physics. So when you say it's governed, does that mean that it is in the things themselves or it's just in our minds a way that we're sort of keeping track of things? It is, (laughs) we agree on a set of rules that are called pool. We understand that certain physical forces of nature are not within our control and that all of us are moved around and motivated and and affected by these forces of nature. And that by understanding those forces of nature, we can put balls in holes. 
So there are forces of nature. There are. They're not merely forces by which we keep track of observed patterns in nature. They're actually in nature. I believe that there are forces in nature. Gravity, electromagnetism, the weak nuclear force, and the strong nuclear force. To name four. I'm not sure if there's any others out there. And which of those produces the hairballs? Ooh. None of them. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, boy. When you start talking about people, you know, Earth is flat and, and moon landings didn't happen. I have known a few scientific people, and they will never say 100% that something is 100% certain just on principle. Just as scientists on principle, they're always couching it. Based on our understanding of gravity, it's like, don't, you're, you just gave someone who doesn't believe in gravity an angle. Well, what if our understanding is wrong? Our understanding of gravity has produced (laughs) some pretty amazing pieces of technology. And clearly our understanding is pretty good. Otherwise, we wouldn't, we wouldn't never put somebody on the moon. Right. So understanding gravity means we understand very well the formulae, the formulas by which it operates. We can describe gravity. We don't know what is truly happening. Gravitons or what we don't know what is, we don't know what the phenomenon is happening, but we can describe it with pretty amazing accuracy considering we don't really know what's going on. And I think that's actually a great example that, at least according to some philosophers, all causality works kind of like that. It's just that we, in other cases, at least like with gravity, we really just don't know. Is it action at a distance? But even in the case of one billiard ball hitting another, where you're like, oh, it's contact, and you can talk about potential kinetic energy. Those are just shorthand, just like gravity is, you know, the laws of gravity are you have, you can compute based on how much mass something has, sure. what, how much attractive uh, power it's going to mm-hmm. uh, exert on something else with a certain mass. And you can look at the distance between them yep. and you can look at the speed in which it's moving and talk about orbits and you can do all this stuff, but it's all about tracking correlations. And that's exactly what the talk of kinetic and potential energy is also doing is sure. that even though there probably really is no literal kind of energy. When I lift something up, oh, it's getting more and more potential energy. No, it's just... At what point does a correlation become so correlated that it may as well be causation? Right. It's all talking about within patterns. So even though causation sounds like it is something in the things themselves, it's a law of nature, not just the way nature works, but it's a power. That's, Mm -hmm. I think, intuitively what we... Like the first billiard ball is exerting a power on the second one. And so we could... Give it a name. Oh, it's the pushing power. It's the, well, sure. but we really don't understand what's going on. We don't understand what the power actually is. And it's just in the case of gravity, we admit that we don't understand it, but we really never understand it. That's fine. I don't care. That's one of those <laughs> hair splitting things that I think that philosophy can kind of get into after a while. There are definitely things that we don't understand, don't know about, and we don't have a good model for. And those things are interesting. And, you know, there's going to be great NPR radio documentaries and, you know, radio lab or whatever, you know, podcast episodes about gut bacteria and these, these things that are right on the frontiers of our understanding. And those are fascinating. And we don't really have a theory that explains them. But I feel like a lot of stuff, it's not that it's settled science, but it may as well be settled science. And even though there are some respected physicists who say, you know, Newton's formulas and, and some Einstein's general relativity, don't go far enough. Boy, for 99.5% of our lives, they may as well be true. They're functionally true, even if we don't fully understand what's going on. 
And even if we did understand what's going on, it doesn't even change our model. Well, we figured out what causes gravity. Does it change the model? Nope. So, yes, I like that modeling. So it really is all scientific law, according to this thing that I'm forcing you to pursue, is a way that we try to keep track of ourselves, is modeling, right? right. So sure. a model is explicitly something you set up, I want to say, in your head. But, you know, obviously we're communicating it, we're writing it down. It's not just in one individual's head. It's not up to your whim, but it is a, an attempt I guess the question is when you're modeling something like, well, what is it that you're modeling? Well, you're modeling patterns of behavior. You're modeling that if I lift this thing this You, you far, know I love yes. behavior patterns. <laughs> now, I did something twice. I did it in that billiard ball scene, and I did it in our scene that came out of kind of nowhere. We were arguing about something. We were You were creating the dynamic tension, the character tension, by just disagreeing about something in particular. Something occurred in both of those scenes that attracted my attention. And you can tell it attracted my attention because I started asking questions about it. Does that make sense? Well, there was the colorblindness thing, which was not even my point, but we ended up going on that, and that was fun. It attracted my attention, so I chose to ask questions about it. Okay. Do you remember what the other... Well, the other one's pretty, it's fairly obvious. You mentioned something about humans should have the, the ability to create and expunge hairballs, expel yes, hairballs. As opposed to just letting that go as just a stupid comment. You're like, we're going to, we're going to build on this. We're going to, you're going to defend that. Yes. Something I, I kind of hinted at last week, this whole idea of finding the game and game of the scene. And if you've done any improv in the greater New York City area or worked with anyone from the Upright Citizens Brigade, they feel that that's, at times, just about all there is to improv. And one of the main points that they would teach in finding the game is, what's the first strange thing that happens? And to focus on that. And to focus on the strange thing that happens. Such as you saying humans should have hairballs. And the fact that you even said it, well, I've even said it dismissively, is perfect. Because the game of the scene is not necessarily what we want it to be. It's what the two of us agree to it as and play it as. If I were to give you a note in that billiard ball scene, how did you feel about me being so interested in your colorblindness? It worked a little at cross purposes because, you know, of course, the reason I said it is because I just don't remember what color. That's fine. <laughs> the various ball. You would think that I, I being the number five, I think I was the number five. Again, that's something that came out of my mouth, but I wasn't sure enough about it to refer back to it. Welcome to improv. This is how this works. And I think fives are brown. I don't, I, I could be wrong. And it worked at cross purposes to the, you know, that I wanted to talk about causality. That's why we were being billiard balls in the first place. And I think I asked what caused color. I don't know. I experimented a little with it, but it would have maybe been a little beside the point in terms of the thing that I was trying to hammer home. So I was not being a proper responsive improviser of like, <laughs> I let you play with it. I didn't just throw it away. <laughs> That's correct. That's where the note would be is not necessarily how does Mark feel about being color for being colorblind, but how does the number five billiard ball feel about number eight being so shocked and concerned about the colorblindness of another ball? Is five like, hey, it's no big deal. It's no it's no big deal. Or is five like, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm colorblind. Or or anything in between. Well, clearly I'm just getting in my own way in terms of <laughs> then I'm starting to wonder, like, well, how does the how does something that is colorblind know that it is colorblind? Like, is it because other people tell them about colors? Like, That's a story. I would love to hear that story. <laughs> so, so maybe uh, 
if I didn't feel like that whole issue was a distraction from what I actually <laughs> wanted to talk about, then I might have come up with a better story or, you know, we could have created together in terms of how, how this got on my radar in the first place. In fact, a note I often give players is to not be afraid to follow the distraction. The fact that it is a distraction perhaps means that the player has made an assumption about what is important, indifferent to what their partner believes is important. And perhaps they need to realize that this thing that they perceive as a distraction could actually be the snake and potatoes of the scene. That could actually be the main savory dish. All right. (laughs) Well, I like that lesson. I pretty much stated what I was getting at with this causality thing. Certainly causality versus correlation. And if we start thin slicing causality, you might reach a point where we do have to describe some kind of fundamental thing. And then we start making assumptions. And of course, humanity will just assign causation to something when perhaps it's more accurately described as correlation. Or we should be careful when ascribing causation when we may need to make sure we cross off our I's and doubt all of our T's that it isn't just correlation. I was trying to get at something more fundamental, which is impractical, which is okay. the idea of is causality actually in the world or is it in our heads somehow? And it, sure. it does make absolutely no freaking difference in terms of how we do science. This is something that I've been researching. I've been writing on a little bit for a a book project that I'm working on. So, for instance, one philosopher that we're reading for Partially Examined Life right now thought he just didn't understand how causality could work at all. And so, therefore, it must be that God is the only one that's actually the cause of anything. That that when one ball hits another, God sees that as an occasion for him to jump in and make the second one move. And he does this in law-like ways. Yes, he does this in very law-like ways. Yeah. So as far as the science goes, it's not like you have to, you know, put the God thing, but it helps to explain kinds of causation that we really don't understand. Like how things in the world, things in our brain, movements actually could cause ideas to appear in our head. That that is so mysterious that this is why he's, you know, the the source of, of this Malabranche is the guy's name, his notion that like, oh, well, it must be God that is sure. taking the movements in the air and in our brains and things and making the stuff appear in our souls because we just can't imagine how that would work otherwise. And there are lots yeah. of philosophers who are not, you know, so theistic that <laughs> have similar worries about how the relation between mind and body. But once he gets that God comes in all the time, then why not just make it all the time? Even when it's in the purely physical level, let's just say that's actually because we don't really understand why it is that one thing hits another and another moves. Well, it's because it's God is making that happen. Just like God is presumably supporting the existence of every atom in the universe at every moment. Yes. Well, we even opened the show with you mentioning you would do something funny on stage. Are we causing that reaction in the audience Mm -hmm. or are we all in this thing together? And I sometimes feel like And I mentioned there certainly can be attempts at causation. I mentioned manipulation and whatnot. I think those are certainly attempts at causing a certain thing. The best improv shows, I think I feel like maybe I said this last time, that they're inside joke machines. And I think what makes inside jokes fun and interesting is the whole you had to be there. Why did I have to be there? What happened in this moment that I couldn't just put into words and explain to you? It's like, I don't know. But we all were there and we all felt the same way when this thing occurred. And I will try to explain it to you, but words won't be enough. And I think there's some causation, (laughs) interesting causations going around, floating around in that as well. 
All right. Well, the uh, judge bot has been observing all this and I believe has, it's not on speaking terms with me right now because of stuff that's been going on here. That's really, I don't want to go into, but has uh, texted you what the result is. So why don't you read, what is that text that uh, the judge bot? It just says prime mover. Isn't that a phrase from philosophy? It is the prime mover or it's a vote for philosophy. Is that I think the vote is for philosophy. Okay. All right. The vote is for philosophy. That's interesting because it didn't seem like this was a lesson that you were open to in the least. That <laughs> well, is one of those picky well, what philosophical am I supposed to things. say? What am I supposed to <laughs> just okay, I believe you? You know, I don't know. <laughs> and again, you know, boy, the improv world, you can pick up all kinds of books and there's people who get very ethereal, very visceral, very, you know, whatnot. And when you're on stage doing it, man, you gravitate towards things that work, towards the tools that work and Perhaps that's just showing through here every week. <laughs> Doing the same thing with philosophy, gravitating towards the things that will have a direct impact in my life. Congratulations, philosophy. Woohoo. All right. Well, let's wrap up for today. We will say so long to the regular listeners. We will keep talking, this is the two of us, maybe some year end reflections in our uh, supporter audio. If you want to get that, go to patreon.com slash philosophy improv or philosophyimprov.com slash support. Uh, there are multiple ways. I really enjoyed learning from you today, Bill. I had a great time learning from you today, Mark. And see. Hope you enjoyed the show. Get more at philosophyimprov.com. If you want to support the show and get our post-game segments where Bill and I and sometimes guests will elaborate on some things that came up in the episode, you can see options to do that at philosophyimprov.com slash support. Thanks. Bankrupt. 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 Bankrupt.